Recovery Elevator, episode 227. I basically asked myself, uh, do you want to be that kind of role model for your kids? Do you want to be around for your kids? Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Chris. He's from Mequon, Wisconsin. He's 35 years old. He's been sober since February 12th, 2019. In his interview, I love how he talks about flipping the script. He goes from staying sober out of fear to staying sober because he wanted a better life. It's a fantastic interview. You guys are going to love it. And before we get any further, let's hear from my favorite resource in recovery, Cafe RE. The three most important lessons I've learned while quitting drinking are we can't do this alone. We need accountability and a supportive community is key. In the private unsearchable Facebook groups, Cafe RE, you're going to get all three and much more. What does private mean? Well, these groups are unsearchable on Facebook. Who's in the group and what is said can only be seen by members. You get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to ditch the booze. These groups are capped at under 350 members to ensure a quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking doesn't have to suck. In fact, it can be a lot of fun. For $19 a month, you too can join the conversation, be paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, online meetups, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and much more. Oh yeah, you'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I hope to see you there. Hey guys, don't forget on the main page, recoveryelevator.com, there is a sign up for a free five-day video course. Enter your email and you will get a video delivered to your inbox five straight days in a row. And this contains my favorite tools and strategies and techniques that I used to propel me forward in my journey. Okay, let's get started. In fact, one thing to cover before we get started in today's topic, an addiction to alcohol is not insurmountable. It can seem overwhelming at times, but this is only temporary. You can and will overcome this. I've yet to meet someone too far gone. And if you know my story, then you know I was teetering on the edge there for a bit. There was a couple of years where I didn't think I had the power to do this. I didn't think I was going to ever make it out. So today, alcohol is, is basically a non-issue. And so you can do this as well. I just want to share this with you because I've met thousands of people that have done this. They've all been in that spot where they're like, I don't know if I can do this, but they all make it through. So just like them, you can do this as well. Okay, so when we are going through tough times, here are eight things to remember. Here are eight great strategies that you can easily implement that will put things into perspective. All right, number one, everything can and will change. Uh, I'm actually going to make a correction to this. It's not everything can change. It's everything will change. This is one of the pillars of Buddhism. It's impermanence. So what's that four-word saying of gold? This too shall move. No, no, that doesn't sound right. This too shall oscillate. No, that's not it either. This too shall carafe. Oh, no, that's definitely not the one, especially for this podcast. Oh, this too shall pass. Yes, everything will pass. 
And I'm going to add my own addition to this phrase, which is especially applicable to my listeners, is this too shall pass if you let it. Does that make sense? If you let it, this pain and comfort that you're currently experiencing will pass. So with this strategy, remember that less is more. In fact, less is way more. Oftentimes, the best plan of attack is nothing. Just let it pass. Wait it out. Let it happen. Don't add more fuel to the fire by drinking and allow it to pass. The second one is you've overcome challenges before. This most likely, well, I can guarantee it, this isn't the first challenge you faced in life. Remember the time you learned to ride a bike, learn to dribble a basketball, throw a frisbee, tie a shoe, tie a tie, learn the C major scale on a piano, how to scramble an egg, make an appealing resume, depart from a dicey relationship, fix the noise in the car engine. You get the point you've been here before. And you might be saying to yourself, learn to throw a frisbee, quit drinking, Paul. Yeah, I've recently come to learn that I might be addicted to the most dangerous drug on the planet, and you're comparing this to throw a frisbee to quit drinking alcohol. All right. So sure, this one is a little bigger. I'm not going to ignore that. But what was the common theme we had in all those other challenges? Is that you weren't afraid to fail. You didn't not throw the frisbee as a kid because you thought it was going to nosedive into the grass. You kept throwing the frisbee, all shitty throws included, until you figured it out. You've been here before. You failed before. If you find yourself failing with this challenge, no big deal. We are way too afraid of failure in general in culture right now, and that's spilling over into this journey. Stop being so afraid of what could go wrong, and let's focus on what can go right. Number three, recognize this life situation as a learning experience, aka an opportunity. So, your intention to quit drinking has been heard by the universe. Oops, did I really voice that out loud to the cosmos and they listened? Oh shit. So, keep in mind, it's all working for us, not against us. And again, this is a learning experience. Remember that time that you shaved off a minute off your mile? Did you lace up your shoes, go out and run and, and just run a minute mile faster? No, you probably had to have several training runs to get that mile just a minute faster. This is the same thing. This is a learning experience. Number four, don't forget, you may not be getting what you want, but you're getting what you need. I'll cover this more in depth next episode with the backwards law, but it goes something like this. In order to ditch the booze, you may have to experience some emotional turmoil first before you can say, yeah, it's not fucking worth it. I'm done. Number five, lighten up. Under no exceptions, and your life depends on this, do not take yourself too seriously. If you're having difficulty lightening up, put on The Office, Arrested Development, Tommy Boy, Wedding Crashers, Bridesmaids, Caddyshack, whatever. These self-deprecating comedies expose the flaws and limitations of the human race that we all have. Another thing to keep in mind is that you're not the only one who is going through tough times, and, and others also need to lighten up. Lighten up with a friend and go see a live comedy show. The sixth thing to remember while going through tough times is you can self-medicate. No, 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 not, not with alcohol as we did before, but self-medicate with kindness towards a numero uno. Do your best to do this internally with compassion towards yourself regardless of anything you did yesterday, last night, or what you find yourself doing right now. You can also do this externally with a bubble bath, a spa visit, a massage, the hot tub, sauna, or sushi with a friend. 
The seventh thing to remember when going through tough times is you don't need to make this any worse. Let other people's shit be other people's shit. When you're going through tough times, don't take on other people's tough times. Boundaries can be hard to set, especially when you don't know they need to be set. When a friend or coworker comes to you with their stuff while listening, do your best to be present. Take conscious breaths and don't take any of it on. Don't take the bait. Even though the other person doesn't consciously know that they're trying to suck you in, you have a choice to not get sucked in, and that's kind of what's happening here. Don't take the bait, no matter how juicy it is. Number eight, there's always, always has been, always will be something to be thankful for. Most likely a platitude of things to be thankful for. You can say, thank God I'm not swimming in lava right now. Do you have a functioning car that got you to work this morning? Be thankful for that. Do you have a pet, a dog, a cat? So guys, it's impossible for me to think about my dog Ben without my heart melting, even just a little. And try flexing those gratitude muscles. Explore being thankful for your current life situation. Maybe voice something like this. Currently, I'm going toe-to-toe with alcohol, and it sucks. But I also realize this is all happening for me, not against me. I get it. (laughs) So I'm thankful for these life trials. Perhaps these are distractions that are happening for me for something better that's unfolding without me knowing it. So be thankful for the addiction, regardless of what stage or what phase you are inside of it. So if you're on day one of sobriety, be thankful. If you're not on any day of sobriety, be thankful you're questioning, you're drinking, you're exploring a better life on the other side without alcohol. And guys, I'm not asking you to do anything that I don't practice myself. Even though I'm approaching five years without alcohol, I live on the same planet you guys do, and I still go through tough times. April was a strange month for me. I implemented, and I was reading this list, I checked them off in my mind, and I think I did seven out of eight. So this list is applicable to all challenges, no matter where you're at in life. Okay, and now let's hear from today's sponsor, BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? In early sobriety, I experienced some intense cravings to feel differently, and I wanted to use alcohol to make that happen. It's helpful to talk to somebody about these cravings. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash elevator and join the over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. For Recovery Elevator listeners, get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com forward slash elevator. Chris, my man, how are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. And let's get right into this. How long have you been sober, Chris? Uh, I've been sober since February 12th. 2019. Nice job. How's it feel? It feels great. Absolutely great. 
hands down, you know, the best decision that I've made. There we go. Can't wait to chat more about that, hear more about your journey. Yeah, before we even get into the questions, there were some synergies that happened. Apparently, I interviewed uh, your sponsor, episode 197. His name was Aaron, and, and Aaron was going to attend a wedding in Montana, found it was Bozeman, listened to some recovery elevator podcast with a guy with a poodle named Ben, and he shot me an email, and Aaron and I, we met in person for coffee. It was awesome, and then he ended up being your sponsor, told you about the recovery podcast, but you already did you already know about it at that at that moment? Oh, yeah. I was uh, I had been listening since about, like, about two months before I even, before my sobriety date, I was listening, so I was definitely a, a, an avid listener. And like, you know, we, we met for coffee the first time we had met outside of a, a meeting uh, initially. And he said, uh, we were talking about some other stuff and he said, well, Hey, you know, I was, do you listen to any podcasts? And I was just thinking in my head, Oh my gosh, I wonder if he's going to bring up recovery elevator. I just had this weird thought. I don't know why. And he said, uh, yeah, well, I, I was redoing my house and uh, I started listening to this really nice podcast, recovery elevator. You might want to check it out. Uh, and I said, oh, well, yes, I've already checked it out, actually, Aaron. And uh, so it was really weird and synergetic. And, you know, just I guess it goes to show, you know, hey, maybe it's a small world, but also things happen for a reason. So it was, it was really cool. And, yeah, synergetic. Yeah, these synergies happen all the time. We miss the bulk of them, but when we catch them, they're, they're pretty neat. And, guys, how, how Chris got on the podcast, and there's several avenues to do it. Sometimes I get emails from listeners, and I just, like, throw out a Hail Mary. I'm like, thanks for reaching out. Thanks for listening. How about an interview? That's one way. Another way is, is Chris is part of Cafe Airy, and, and he has some of the most supportive, thoughtful posts in the group. He shows up every single day with – the, just how can I help? How can I be there for you mentality? And after seeing this guy named Chris, and you're in, you're in Team Go. It's a relatively new group. We launched January 1st, 2019. And after a couple months, I'm like, who is this guy, Chris, that th- th- there's no uh, inauthenticity in your post. You're throwing it all out there. You're helping people out. And so I asked Chris to do a member spotlight. And that is where Chris shares his story for 20 to 40 minutes. And, and during that, I was like, man, you know, so all stories are great. But Chris, I heard your story. I was like, I got to get this guy on the podcast. So I'm excited to hear it. Well, I appreciate it. It was great to be part of that spotlight. It's great to be part of Cafe Ari Go Group. It's a wonderful part of my daily recovery. It helps me out a lot. Well, let's uh, let's let's get into this and uh, give listeners a little background about yourself, Chris. Maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, do you have a family, and what do you like to do for fun? Yeah, well, I am 35 years old. I uh, am a technology trainer for a finance company. I am divorced. I live in a van down by the river. No, that part. Just kidding. I have three wonderful boys. They're 15, 10, 7 years old, and they are just uh, the absolute loves of my life. Yeah, what do you like to do for fun? Oh, yeah. Well, for fun, I like to play uh, guitar. I, I sing and play guitar in a band. I do improv comedy. I've dabbled in stand-up a little bit. Especially ever since getting sober, I am uh, exercising quite a bit. There you go. And, and when did you first start drinking? What was it like when you took your first drink? Well, probably the first time that I tried alcohol, I was about 11 years old. And I can distinctly remember I had a Tupperware container that I had filled maybe just a, a fourth of the way with tequila that I had taken from the downstairs of my uh, parents' liquor cabinet. 
I didn't even drink it for a couple of days, but I just liked the idea that I've got this booze on me and I'm only like 11 years old and it's really cool, right? And so I, I took a, a couple little sips one night while I was on AOL. You know, it, it, was, nine, it was the mid-90s. That's what we did in chat room. Yeah, I, rem- I remember clearly. <laughs> yeah. You know, and all of a sudden I had that, that feeling. I, I took maybe one little sip. It was disgusting. But I knew like, well, I've heard tell that if you drink enough of this stuff, you feel awesome. And so I made myself take another swig and that feeling was there. And I immediately, I, I, like I said, I was in a chat room and I immediately started just like typing nonsense. Uh, luckily, because it was all anonymous people, uh, nobody really, there was no effect uh, negative or otherwise. But uh, after that point, I knew like, hey, this thing helps me escape the way I feel. And, you know, that would be a problem as life went on. Wow. An 11-year-old, not even a teenager, on America Online. For some listeners, that's what AOL stands for. With liquid courage in a chat room. Wow. (laughs) I'd love to see some of those screenshots. Oh, yeah. That's uh, probably a lot of nonsense. Not sure why I needed liquid courage for an anonymous chat room, but, hey, it worked. That feeling was definitely there, and it was, uh, it had, I guess you could say it had its hooks in me from then on. Yeah, and I, re- I recall listening to your story. You ramped up pretty quick after that. Uh, talk us through after that first drink and uh, up, up until high school and, and after that. Yeah, so pretty much for the remainder of my grade school tenure, I kept it uh, pretty clean. <laughs> Didn't really go off the rails till about uh about sophomore year of high school, uh, my freshman year, I got into, you know, pot, kind of like a, a stoner group. Uh, and then I recall sophomore year, uh, the uh, pot dealer of ours uh, went on a vacation for a couple of weeks. And so I joked to my friends and I said, hey, guys, I'm going to become an alcoholic this Christmas break. And I did. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, literally, you know, I just I was taking a substance to change the way I felt. I remember, you know, just steal it from wherever I could. And mainly we're talking parents' houses. I did not have the guts to commit actual theft at that point in time. But, you know, it was, it, it, it ramped up quickly. And, you know, I was, I was experiencing blackouts pretty regularly by the time I was a junior in high school. And by the time I was a junior in high school, I also got my very first of uh, what would be a hat trick of DUIs. Uh, in my lifetime, uh, had it lost a you know a couple friends relationship uh, with my, one of my first girlfriends because of uh, drinking. I mean these huge you know I guess tragic life events were happening to me at age 16. Um, by the time I was a senior in high school, I was literally trying to get sober. I can recall that distinctly of the night before graduation, you know, like my friends went out drinking and I was like, I don't do that anymore. And, of course, uh, that, you know, wouldn't be uh, the last time I drank, but it, it went very quick for me. And so at age 18, yeah, you're like, okay, I think I need to get sober. Had a DUI junior high school, you're blacking out, and you got a sobriety date in 2019. So fill in the gaps. <laughs> oh, so many. <laughs> get us up to speed, Chris. Okay, strap in. Well, I started to go to college locally here in Wisconsin, and... I was trying to actually trying out sobriety at at that age, but it didn't stick. And so I actually got my second DUI at 19. And then uh, when I was in 
Huber, and for those uh, rational, normal people out there that don't know, Huber is a jail where they let you go to work, or in my case, school. Oh, wow. That's a great, you might be an alcoholic if line right there. You're getting out of the slammer and grabbing your books to go to class. And so that's what I, I was, I was in Huber, you know, giving you a short stay, but still, I was there and uh, I talked to who ha- was at the time my ex-girlfriend I had dated for only a couple of months. And then uh, due to some substance-related issues, alcohol-related issues, we had a, a nasty breakup. And she said, well, hey, I just want you to know that I'm pregnant uh, with your child. And it's important to me that I, I'm going to have this child and, and it's yours. And, and I was on a payphone in Huber when I got that news. And so I knew that I knew it from that moment that, you know, I had to change how I was living. You know, I mean, two DUIs under your belt before you're 20, you're, you're doing, you know, you're not, you're not doing great. So I remember the moment that I saw my son being born, I knew that things had to change. And it was one of the greatest moments of my life. Obviously, when the other ones were born as well, but, you know, that first, first one, I, I knew that I couldn't do the same thing. Also, I was 19 when that happened, and I was not totally mature or ready or prepared for what that really entailed. So I did the old marijuana maintenance plan for almost 10 years. Okay. Um, you know, most of my twenties, you know, because the way I, the way I reasoned or rationalized it was, well, you know, when I drink, uh, I black out, bad things happen really quickly. Like there, I mean, it, it was basically no contest and okay, well, this way I can still uh, use something to change the way I feel because, of course, there were underlying problems that I was not addressing. I mean, I, I wasn't even to a place where I could begin to see that. But so this way, you know, it was like kind of a softer uh, evil, if you will. You know, well, you'll just smoke pot, be un- unmotivated. You know, you won't really make any self-progress. But you won't black out or say awful things or, you know, go to jail. Most likely you'll just eat too many Doritos and kind of be unmotivated, loserish, right? And so I did that. And of course, what that always did is it always essentially, you know, because it wasn't the only time that I kind of tried that plan. And there were a few alcohol relapses in that 10-year period. It always leads you back. And I mean, I know it's really cliche and uh, something I used to definitely roll my eyes at when people were like, marijuana is a gateway drug. And for tons of people... It's totally not. You know, I, I will totally hands down agree that the effect, the immediate effect of marijuana over alcohol might, uh, well, they are uh, less dangerous. I mean, alcohol kills the most people of any drug in the world, right? So, but for me, it was always because I was, ch- I was changing the way I felt. I was using marijuana to get out of myself in a bad way, not like the selfless do things for others way. And so eventually, you know, you can only smoke so much pot. You want something else. You want something a little more, more powerful, a little more potent, whether that was, you know, pills or, or, or alcohol. So it always lead me back there. And, you know, but that being said, it did allow me to kind of coast through my 20s. You know, I, I eventually, I married the mother of, of my, of my son and we tried really hard to, to make things work. We both had a, a very deep love for our son and she had a wonderful family that welcomed me in and kind of took me under their wing and, and helped me. Of course, my, uh, my, my family did as well, always. You know, I had that going for me. Uh, we, we got married, I had the other two kids as well. 
But things were still, I mean, that was on the surface. There were still problems going on underneath, quite a lot of them. I wasn't dealing with anything. And eventually in 2013, we got divorced. And there were a lot of things that factored into that uh, that I don't have time to get into now. But certainly, without a doubt, one of them was, you know, well, I'm, I'm sure that why I might have my own gripes about uh, my ex-wife, um, she didn't love being married to a pothead, you know, that was just using, you know, some substance all the time and not really motivated to do a whole lot else. And so after that, I, I went back to drinking. I mean, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, even if I wasn't maybe the happiest person, I definitely didn't understand how I was going to be a single father to three boys who were all very young at the time. And I, I just didn't know what I would do. And so like a true, you know, addict or alcoholic, I went back to the thing that I, my drug of choice, right, which would be alcohol. And within a month and a half, I got my third and knock on wood final DUI. And wait, how old were you at that moment? So you're 35 now. When, when was your third DUI? Oh, I was 29. Oh, okay. So this was like 2013, 2014? Yeah, 2013. It was 2013. And I was just, so, you know, again, and this is for me, I know it's different for everyone, but for me, drinking when I, when I drank, you know, I I was never homeless or had those bottoms that you traditionally see maybe, but again, you know, I did have multiple DUIs and lost relationships and things like that. And it all happened when I would drink, it would happen quickly. Maybe it's because from an early age, I kind of established like, yep, you're no good at this. And I went to counseling and things like that at a very early age. So it was kind of put into my head, like, you do have a problem, which, of course, I did. I mean, you talk about one of the one of your lowest, your lowest point. I mean, I I have to say it was was saying, all right, well, I'm not 30 years old yet, but I am freshly divorced. I'm awaiting going to court for my third DUI where there will be, you know, jail or shooter time things and you know not to mention all the other things i'm holding on thankfully i never lost my job i never got fired so i I basically had two long-term jobs since i got out of college and that was never affected but it certainly was you know it was getting there sure i just and i and i was a single father divorced awaiting you know court for my third dui i did not think anyone would ever love me or that I ever had a chance. You know, I thought, okay, well, life, life is over. I don't know what you're going to do. But you're, I mean, look at what you've really painted yourself into a corner, I said to myself. And, and Chris, I, I also want to focus on, um, you know, the, the, the sobriety time as well. So, so let's get closer to your sobriety date here. So it sounds like, so age 29 to 35, there's six years in there. You got your third DUI. Um, was there some sobriety time in there or what was, was there another rock bottom moment perhaps in February? Yeah. Walk us closer to your sobriety date. Sure. And yeah, I know there's, there's, there's a lot of story to tell with that. Yeah. I mean, all stories are incredible, but let's, I want, I want to hear how you did it as well. Oh yeah. That's the good part. That's the happy part of the story. So I had some forced sobriety time in there because you get a, you get a DUI and as some listeners might know, you know, you, you're on probation and things like that. Like, so, you know, I had to wake up every morning and call a number. And if they called my color, I had to go into a, I had a color assigned to me. I had to go and take a breathalyzer and, and go to, you know, the mandatory AA meetings and things like that. 
and even though I started, I knew I had a, an issue, I knew I had a problem, and I knew I needed to do something about it, but still, for me, the fact that it was, like, not my real decision, ultimately, I think, impacted me negatively. And when everything was over, which was probably about 2015, 2016, when all those legal things were over, where technically I could essentially, you know, I got out of everything, all the things were over, I could drink or smoke pot or whatever, I eventually did. And I had a long-term relationship at the time, a, a, a girlfriend that lived with me and was also in similar circumstances. And I, once again, let that uh, addiction take hold. And, it, you know, it always, again, it started with pot and quickly escalated to getting kind of wrongfully diagnosed with ADHD because I thought, hey, that's cool. Amphetamines are fun, right? And so I, I, it helps me drink longer and not go through those negative blackouts and things like that. So that was a, about a year and a half, two year period. And uh, I'm so thankful that on you know February 12th, it wasn't pretty, but no horrible legal thing happened. No, I didn't lose any awful thing. I'm certainly on my way to. I was on my way to losing everything, of course. But I looked around and realized, you know, I, I was taking. Adderall, not as prescribed. I was drinking alcohol. I was smoking pot. I, I was like, what, are, what do you think is going to happen, Chris? Like, what, where do you think this is going to end up? Do you think this is going to end up decent? Because if you have a quarter of a brain, obviously, you know where this is ending up. Chris, I, I got to jump in right there. I know it was just kind of like a like a phrase or a saying, but it's it's not like you know a quarter of a brain or like even a half a brain. It's not an intelligence issue, and I know you can agree with that as well. We're both smart guys, and but it, sure. it, am I hearing you correctly? On on February twelfth, you you quit Adderall, pot, and alcohol, or on February eleventh? That's right. Wow. Yeah i I knew that I ha I knew I had because I I had tried in the re like in that leading up to that date, I had tried a couple times. A multiple, I mean, uh, more than I can even count, actually. But, you know, it's like I would still say, well, I'll still take Adderall. And certainly for certain people that need it and, and that have this, the issue and take it as prescribed, completely understand. That's not me. Okay. So, like, I'm just putting that out there. But it would always lead me back. You know, like I, I, I would say, okay, I'm not going to drink anymore, but I'll still maybe smoke pot and take Adderall or whatever the case. And, you know, I, I had to get completely 100% honest with myself and with the people around me. I got on, the, you know, my first sobriety date. I, you know, woke up feeling, you know, of course, awful on barely any sleep. You know, I, I was probably still drunk from the night before. I think this actually was February 11th because I don't count it because I was like probably up past midnight um, drinking. So, and, but in any event, I, I made, I basically went to a close family member's house and I said, um, you know, I've been taking Adderall. I'm not using it as prescribed. I need to stop it immediately. I need to like kind of shooting myself in the foot. Burn the ships. Yeah. Yeah. I, I knew for so much experience from countless times, but if I'm left to my own devices, I can feel all this guilt and all this shame and stuff. But you give me enough time and, you know, maybe let things, let my mind work in the way that it so, was so accustomed to working, which is like, just let's shift the truth and shift things so it makes it seem okay to do this again. And like, oh, well, this time is different or, well, we just don't care or whatever the case is. I knew I, I, couldn't, I couldn't trust myself at that point. It was plain and simple, so I had to burn the ships, like you said. And I, I made a list 
uh, and I mean, I had to lean very heavily on my wonderful family for this. I, I, I stayed, I stayed with, um, I stayed with them for three days. My first three days of sobriety, I said, I don't want to be home by myself. I made a list uh, of, all, I said, I have to call uh, the doctor prescribing me the Adderall. I have to burn those ships and say, Hey, I know I didn't tell you this, you know, because I'm an addict and lied, but I can't be on this prescription, uh, you know, this Adderall anymore. It's, I'm, you know, it's causing a very big problems. Basically, I'm burning that ship, making appointments for a, a therapist, making appointments for an actual, what I would call a better, more on the up and up doctor. I got rid of anything I had around my house, you know, any leftover uh, marijuana, Adderall, it, it was, out of there obviously and i just i made a list and i still have that list and i you know as time continues to go on i'm so happy that i can still look at that list because that did so much for me i I just woke up the next day and i I made all those decisions and i checked them off i made a little checklist for myself and checked them off as i did it because you know i knew that i mean i had i obviously you know this all started when i was 16 years old i had plenty of do-overs. I had plenty of second chances. And I just, I basically asked myself, uh, do you want to be that kind of role model for your kids? Do you want to be around for your kids? Do you want to see them? Because if you do, you need to make big changes right now. Yeah. And Chris, I just want to comment on, for listeners out there, that the measures that we need to take when we finally make the plunge on this journey is because it sounds like you had a decade, almost 16 years old, like junior year in high school, senior year, where, yeah, it's just kind of like just rinse and repeat the same method of like willpower, court systems. That stuff doesn't work for most because you're, 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 you're abstaining from those substances because uh, from a viewpoint of it's a sacrifice, like you obviously wouldn't do it on your own willpower or on your will. And so just like you mentioned, that list, it probably saved your life. And one of the biggest tools that I've mentioned on this podcast and will forever talk about is is accountability burn the ships whatever you want to call it you made a list you stay with your family for three days you can't unhave those conversations you can't wake up day two and say look i I was just joking i'm walking out the door i'm good you can't uncall your doctor and i had that same moment about two months in i knew that things were starting to get squirrely i said the three most dangerous words i said i got this and I was about to leave an AA meeting as in not even walk in the front door. I was too busy. And boom, the universe put the idea of a podcast in front of me. And those are the measures that we need to take. I don't want to say everybody needs to start a podcast, create a list, and do those things. But we need to do things that are so far outside our comfort zone. Uh, after I started the podcast for three months, I, I, I had trouble sleeping. And I don't know if I would be here without that, if I, if I hadn't done it. And so, Chris, nice job. And, and, and it sounds like the first three days were interesting. What was your first week like, your first month off the substances like? You know, I think because I had made the choice and it was all me. Like I said, you know, there wasn't in, in my past, there was always something, whether it was for a relationship, for a legal issue. That was why I was making the choice. But I mean, of course, I had a million good reasons. But I was like, you know, this, I'm making this choice because I want to and I want a better life. And because I think I was coming from that place and because it wasn't something like, oh, well, you just have to do this for now. By the end of the first week, I mean, I I think I had some sleeping issues and things for the first three days or so, you know, but uh, definitely got I had to get my 
sleep, my diet, everything had to go, you know, back to normal because not only was I, was I drinking an unhealthy amount, but you know, with, with Adderall and things like that, I mean, your sleep schedule, everything is off. So I kind of took three days to get, you know, physically kind of back to a decent place. And then, you know, I remember that first weekend I had, I had my three boys and I had so much fun and I just knew that I was doing it for the right reasons. I didn't have to be so scared anymore. And Chris, you, you, you dropped a huge value bomb earlier. I didn't want to jump in and mention this earlier, but it's the whole mindset where if we, if we take this journey out of fear that something bad will happen, for example, I need to quit drinking because I'm going to lose my job, DUI, bankruptcy, or I'm, I'm going to lose friends, I'm going to gain weight, and I'm not going to be the best version of myself. That, that'll get us out of the gates for a couple months for me, it got me two and a half years, uh, 2010 to 2012. But what you just said is 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 the, the focal point. This is, has to be the foundation of our journey is you wanted a better life. So it's not a no to alcohol. It's yes to a new life. Exactly. And once the, the conscious mind and unconscious mind, when they bridge that gap, when they can definitively see the line in the sand, and gosh, occasionally I remember quotes from way back in the recovery all their days. This is episode four with a guy named Henry. Is once the body, the mind, the soul, all three of those are on the same page and says we are doing this out of love. We are not doing this out of fear that something terrible will happen, that we're going to ruin our lives if we keep drinking. But we're doing this because love, light, and a better life await. And we can't be the better version of ourselves or for our kids. We're doing this because we love our family, our kids, everything. Then watch out. Anything is possible. And I've been doing this for a hot minute, guys. It's the people that have this mindset that they never look back. And it's people with this mindset that AA meetings, you know, recovery, sobriety, it's this. I need to pick my words carefully right now. It's, 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 a, it's a short chapter in their life. And what I mean by that is, they don't need to go to meetings or they don't need to. I've had people cancel cafe RE after a year. These are good friends of mine and I keep in touch with them. And it's this mindset that allows them to just come fully depart from their addiction to almost look at it like it's a past life. And so I love what you said there, Chris. Yeah. Uh, pick up where he left off. I'm sorry. Oh, so no, not at all. To add to that, it was almost like you flipped the script a little bit on yourself and, and just like you would, you know, before when you would, would drink or use drugs or whatever, you'd be like, I'm doing this because I, this is what I want to do. And like, this is going to help me be happy. And this is going to, you know, ultimately coming from a place of wanting, you know, to, to have fun, be happy, enjoy things. And, you know, and I would associate sobriety with all the opposites of that. Like, oh, you know, missing out, the FOMO and whatever but flipping head around and being like no actually when i stay sober when i make that my my focus i'm choosing to be happy i do all these things because i want a good life and it actually delivers that's the that's the only difference is you know so many times we we choose to drink or to use drugs because we think it's going to bring us this you know ultimate great payoff and we're going to it's going to make us happy and then it never does we're always stuck back in the same cycle of, you know, why did I do this again? But then because of the, you know, addictive properties and our, you know, just because of lots of things, we do it again and again and again. And I have to say, you know, making this decision that I wanted, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be sober because 
you know, I want to love myself and I want to have a great life and I want to, I want those around me to have a great life and I want to help them do that. You know, that's real happiness. That's something that I could never, ever get from alcohol, from drugs. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of ironic, right? Because the thing that you're always searching for and never getting, you finally can get that when you give that thing up that you were using to try and get that in the first place. Yeah, recovery is full of paradoxes, and that's that's one of the biggest ones. And I just want to make one more point um, about flipping the script. I love how you said that. You can flip the script at any time. Um, it's, it's Ideally, it's better to flip the script before you get sober or on your sobriety date. But that that's not how it went for me, and this might be surprising. Even this run from 2014 to probably 16, I, I hadn't flipped the script yet. I was trying. I was having conversations that came out on a podcast in that format every Monday. And I learned a thing or two and I flipped the script and I'm still deepening with the flipping of the script, shall we say. So listeners, if you're at like month six, right? Month eight, year two, year 10, it doesn't matter. You can flip the script at any time. And once that seed is planted, like you just said that you don't have to have it. It's not the fact that you're just staying away from it. It's, it's the fact you don't have to have it to fill the inner void. And that's a beautiful moment. Uh, and, and Chris, it sounds like you met a, you met a sponsor named Aaron. So AA 12 steps meetings. What, what were some other tools and resources that you've used in these past four months? Uh, well, uh, you know, I, I love recovery podcasts like yours and there, I mean, there are some other great ones as well. You can, you can say those on this, this podcast also. <laughs> I well, uh, I like uh, the recovery happy hour as well. Trisha Lewis, she's, I, I, hang on. I want to give that girl the, uh, the nickname. Well, <laughs> I want to officially give that girl the unicorn or the nickname of the unicorn of sobriety. So let's let's not tell her, but let's uh, let's make that go. Does that work? That works for me. That girl is such a sweetheart. Wonderful show. So I mean, you've got these two great shows that come out every week, essentially. And you know what I liked about those and the online support groups like like cafe re is you know being someone that's busy uh it's some and and being that aa meetings and and things like that they only happen at certain times certain places things like these podcasts and uh these like you know online forums you can just access those anytime you know so oh hey i'm having a moment i'm kind of feeling like I need to recenter some things have happened, you know, Hey, you people typically have their phones on them, right. Uh, in 2019. So you can just go into that group, uh, check in with those, uh, people on the forum. You can listen to a podcast, you know, recovery related podcast. I also have been listening to a lot of audiobooks, uh, and, and a lot of them are recovery centric. Uh, but you know, you could probably classify them in the, in the self-help, uh, category. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, the unfuck yourself movement. There's the the subtle art of not giving a fuck, and uh, by Mark Manson. Yeah, it's a, it's a good book. It's not recovery uh, related, but it's it's definitely applicable. It is, and I mean, again, so it's just it, it's it's not exactly. Some of them will go a little bit outside, but I think you know the cool thing is you know I've got this recovery as you know kind of like your base. That's it. this is you know what I have to do if I if I stay sober today. You know the rest is kind of icing on the cake. And like you were saying, you know, even if you're six or eight months in, you need to flip the script. Like the great news is you can totally do that. You haven't like, it's all the last six or eight months haven't been like a waste of time. You can always keep growing. And that's why I like to, 
listen to a lot of books like that because, you know, I find that I'm finally able to, to grow. Like, you know, when you, when you're using drugs or alcohol, I mean, it kind of just stunts everything and you stay in this horrible cycle of, of self-loathing and guilt. And you're certainly not going to do any growing. But now that I've found, now that I've taken those parts out of my life, I feel like you can actually start to, to grow and mature as a adult human, which is absolutely wonderful. And Chris, what advice would you give to your younger self? I guess, and I've heard other people say this on the show, but, you know, I would say maybe love yourself more. Uh, you're worth more than you might think you are. But I also do think that I had to go through all the things that I had to go through to get to this point. And they were not, I, I wouldn't wish them on other people, especially certain parts, but I had to go through those things in order to get to a point where I was like, you know, I, I want this and I, I know it without a shadow of a doubt, this is what I want. And like, you, you know, like you mentioned, like, like choosing life, like I've had enough. I've had, you know, a decade and a half of this. I think I've had plenty of field experience that this is not going to work out. And so, you know, I, I needed that in order to, to make that decision. You know, I've answered that question several times, and it, it changes. It's a fun question, a fun scenario to play out in your head. I don't think I'd say I don't. I don't think I'd say anything. And I think I go back to Pablo Church, <laughs> Paul, at a, probably age eighteen or nineteen, and I don't think I'd say anything. I think I'd just give him a hug, a high five. Uh, we'd probably make up some lame handshake, solidify it, and just be like, "Dude, I guess you can't say anything." But I just let him know that whatever path he goes down. Is the right path. It's not the wrong path. It's the path that he needed to learn those lessons, and I'm going to be there waiting for him with open arms on the other side. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and Chris, talk to us a little bit about the why. Have you started to explore that? Has that started to pop up in sobriety? You know, one of my favorite quotes is, "If you want to find out why you drink so much, quit drinking. You'll find out pretty quick." Has the why started to surface of why you drink? Why are you using pot to cover up? Yeah, I mean, and I, I think you know. Going to, you know, therapy, which I didn't mention is a, is a helpful tool as well, just like kind of one-on-one -on -one talk therapy. Uh, th that helps with that a lot as well. But I think that what I'm starting to see, and again, it's, it's a big process, and it's, that part is something you can spend lots of time working on, but it's really not loving yourself. Um, and, I mean, that's the common, common theme is having doubts in yourself and thinking you're not lovable and thinking that people don't like you, your internal self is, you know, really sad and, and doesn't feel like they're any good. And so they have to hide that with drugs and alcohol and, and kind of stay away from that internal truth, at least it's a truth to you at the time that just kind of plagues you that you're just not good enough. And one more question before we hit the rapid fire round. On this whole journey, not just in sobriety, what's the most important lesson you've learned? Oh, the whole, like the journey of life? or Yeah, yeah. I mean, what have you learned about yourself along the way that stands out? That I can change. Again, like you, I feel, feel like I'm the same. There's a lot of parts of me that are the same, and my identity isn't completely, you know, I'm not some completely different person that, you know, no one would recognize. I think a lot of the good aspects of my personality, probably a few of them, bad ones too are still there but you know i never thought like i recently like a couple weeks ago i quit smoking cigarettes and and on top of that nice job thank you very much uh <laughs> pat on the back and so but just to think like oh I, I i can do that i can be sober 
I can enjoy sobriety. I can I can do all these things that I just in my heart of hearts before this I never thought I actually could. And I thought, well, if I do, I'll be miserable and life will be. And you kind of play this awful negative tape to yourself. But that was false. You know, I, I I'm capable of of change, of positive change. So that's been the biggest one, I think. Yeah, I love it. And Chris, we've reached the rapid fire round. Are you ready? All right. I'm ready. All right. Worst memory from drinking? Uh, after my third DUI, when I was newly divorced, you know, I kind of mentioned this, but there was a specific night after the actual DUI where I was I had moved out. I had my kids. There was a neighbor that I had uh, befriended that also had kids. Didn't eat much that day. I didn't, of course, tell anyone about my drinking issue. We proceeded to drink, and I got too drunk and my kids had to leave and go to their mother's house and I had to call them the next day. Uh, and you know, any, when it, when it impacts your children, I mean, I'm thankful that two of them were at an age where they probably will never remember that, but my oldest will. And, and, and knowing that my, uh, my drinking, you know, is something that was then starting to really affect immediately affect my, my children and and so it was horrible so that's just being that next morning having to deal with that um along with everything else that was going on is my worst worst memory and chris what's your plan in sobriety moving forward to keep to keep moving you know like like they say momentum not getting comfortable you mentioned getting out of your comfort zone is important and i fully agree with that so, of course, you know, continuing on with the things I have that are working, but, you know, continuing to try additional things. I got, I want to check out this meditation that I've so far failed miserably at. But I, you know, again, like I'm, I want to try new things. I want to keep moving forward and, and, and experiencing new great things in recovery. Chris, I just did a silent meditation week-long retreat, and gosh, it rocked my world, and I'm still trying to process if it rocked my world for good or bad. I don't even want to label it, but gosh, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. Like I'm, I'm also going to be exploring this meditation thing a little more. Uh, it's, it's neat stuff. And uh, what parting piece of guidance can you give the listeners who are thinking about quitting drinking? Just basically, like, if you're thinking that you might have an issue very well might uh if you're listening to this podcast hey there's another sign uh try it <laughs> just try it out give you give yourself 30 days right you know just i believe the naked mind by annie grace has a, like a 30 day roughly a 30 day challenge I haven't read the book but i've heard about it uh so again that's something that would be a, a great guide you could use try it out and, and you're you can do it and your life can be so much better and i feel like Quitting these things looks the absolute most intimidating when you're looking at it from a place where you haven't yet begun to do it. Once you get in that rhythm and start doing it and start to see just the little daily benefits that you start to experience, just try it out. Don't be afraid. I mean, you basically, like, what do you have to lose? If you're miserable and drinking, how bad would it be to be miserable and sober for a couple of weeks, right? Give it a shot. Probably find that it's a little better. Chris, I love how you said that. I think the hardest part about this journey is when we know we should probably quit drinking. It's when we obsess about it, but we don't even try. Um, that's harder than actually quitting drinking. So I love how you said that. Yeah, and Chris, before we depart, give listeners your own customized, you might be an alcohol gift line. If you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> hey, you might be, right? Yeah, let's simplify that whole question right there. <laughs> if you're here, the sound of my voice. 
so no, I, I'd say, and this is something that I found towards the last, like about a year ago. If you're shopping for, you know, fancy craft beer, but you need to look at the alcohol by volume percentage on each beer before you buy it. And if you don't see the alcohol by volume listed, you break out your phone and do a quick Google search because anything under 5% would not be worth uh, the can alone. No, God, no. Got to get your bang for your buck. Exactly. And then, you know, and you're, oh, well, I'm a connoisseur. And really, you're just trying to buy the most uh, potent booze. Yeah, you hit to all microbrewers. It's like 8% or high. Like, don't even go below that. Why? <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, this is, this is, I really enjoy the quality and oakiness of this. Like, no, I actually enjoy the 8.9% uh, booze. <laughs> Jesus. Right. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been a pleasure, and I loved hearing your story. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure being on. Joe Namath, the legendary New York Jets quarterback, said that drinking kicked my butt for a long time. Providing a rare glimpse into his legendary life, Joe Namath reveals in a new book how he almost drank himself to death in his post-playing days. The former New York Jets star says he drank excessively because a voice inside his head told him to. So to combat this urge, Namath came up with a brilliant strategy, which was to name this voice, and he called it Slick. Ah, smart guy, Joe Namath. You might have heard this strategy on this podcast as well. To name the addiction, to personify it, I have given my addiction the name of Gary. Uh, I think I did this maybe 200 episodes ago. And I recommend you do the same because what's happening here is our addiction lies to us in our own voice. And if we can personify this, we can almost give the sub-personality that isn't the major, the bulk of our personality, a voice, a name, and we can uh, almost open up the dialogue directly to it. All right, back to Joe. Every now and then, Slick whispers, but having a name for him makes me listen to him differently, and health-wise, I'd probably be dead now if I hadn't stopped drinking, Namath says in the book, All the Way, My Life in Four Quarters. Joe Namath, age 75, recalls his infamous sideline interview in 2003 with ESPN's Susie Kolber, during which he told the sideline reporter he wanted to kiss her. In the book, he calls that moment a turning point in his life. He says, I saw it as a blessing in disguise. He admitted to being drunk during the interview. I had embarrassed my friends and family and could not escape that feeling. I haven't had a drink since. Alcohol is shit, Joe Namath. Nice job. Um, again, the book is All the Way, My Life in Four Quarters by Joe Namath. Recovery elevator. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. We can do this.